If you have notes, you can follow along, and I'm again going to just give you a cue when it's time to do the fill in the blanks. If you do not have notes and you want those, Chad Ackerman's right there. He'll look for you. You can raise your hand and he'll give you some sermon notes. Sometimes it's easier just to have an outline to to follow along, and plus I've included in the sermon notes the the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. One of the things that we want to get really good at is reading the Bible. And the Bible can be, it's, it can be an intimidating thing because it's really big and the pages are really thin and there's a lot of different genres in scripture. There's a lot of different types of writing and it's, if you're, if you're just now starting to read the Bible, it's, it's sometimes helpful to have little cues, um, little things to help you understand how we're to understand the Bible. And so we're starting with that today. I want to just give you a cue as you're learning how to read the Bible, if this is new to you. The Bible is, and here's your first two fill in the blanks. The Bible is history plus doctrine. The Bible is history plus doctrine. Let me unpack that a little bit for you. The Bible is not just a bunch of fairy tales. It's not just a bunch of you know, stories that are made up to, to teach us morals. The Bible is filled with actual historical events, things that really happened. It's history plus doctrine. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just like a, a book of short stories. It tells us what those historical events actually mean. That's doctrine. History is what happened. Doctrine is what it means. So in the Bible, we have a God who's revealing himself to us through historical events, things that actually happened in history, and then he tells us how to interpret those events. He reveals himself through what happened and then his explanation of what happened. That's how we get to know God. That's what Scripture is, Bible plus doctrine. So we, hear, we read in the Bible a story about a fish, a big fish that eats a man. It's an interesting, swallows this man whole, spits him out back onto land. That's a, that's a weird, that's a historical event that actually happened. It's very, very strange. But it's not just a historical event. We also know what that tells us about God. This is doctrine. In that event, we see that there is a God who loves people very, very much, even people that people who are already in God's family might not want to love. And sometimes, well, often, well, all the time for us if we're following Jesus, we are told to go share the love and the truth of God with people that we might not want to. But God is an extroverted God, always reaching out and bringing and inviting more people in. So what we see is this man who did not want to go reach this group of people that he didn't like. And so he's on a boat, and because he refused to do what God asked him to do, things started getting really bad and everyone on the boat was going was gonna to eventually die because of this one person. So they threw him overboard. He gets 
swallowed up by a fish. He gets spit out. He learns his lesson. I'm going to go to these people that God told me to go to in the first place. We see in the story of Jonah and the whale a God who desires for his message of love and grace to spread to everybody. He's more gracious than we are, more kind than we are. We're more judgmental than God. That's an interesting thought. That's one of the things that we see in the Bible. What about the the crucifixion of Jesus? That's a historical event. Jesus died, history, for our sins, doctrine. We see in the Bible a God who wants us so much to be part of his family that he sends his only son to show us this is what love looks like, sacrificing your only son so that you can be a part of my family forever. A God who almost seems reckless against his own nature to allow other people to be in his spiritual family. That's Scripture. That's what we see in Scripture. A bunch of historical events and then interpretations of those events, which is doctrine. All right, we're walking through the church calendar, and we're looking at different snapshots, different events, different things that happened in the Bible, and then we're looking at the interpretation, the doctrine behind these events. What do these things tell us about God? So as you're reading Scripture, and you read a story that's interesting, or a narrative, or a teaching from Jesus, ask yourself, what does this tell me about God? What does God tell me in this story about his own, his own nature? And we're in this section of the church calendar called Epiphany. And Epiphany <clears throat> is simply a time where we celebrate, a season where we celebrate God manifesting himself to all of humanity through Jesus. God making himself known through, to all of humanity through Jesus. And it's different snapshots where we, we see some beautiful aspect of the divinity of God. And I, I've used this illustration several times. I got it from somebody else. But it's like, have you ever, has anyone ever seen the movie Cocoon? You've, if you've been here more than two years, you've heard me use this illustration. You, you've seen Cocoon? Like, is, is Kim the only one? Two, three, okay. Any, four. No, seriously, I want to get a count. I want to know exactly. Five, six, seven, okay. Give me $10, $15 for the... If you watch Cocoon, you will see some wonderful theology. One of the things that happens, it's these, it's these aliens that dress up like human beings... And they pretend to be human beings. I'm not going to get too much in the story, but it is really, really interesting. But one of the humans looks at an alien who's dressed up as a human being, and he says, he basically says, let me see your glory. Let me see what you're really, really like. And the, the alien who's dressed up as a human being pulls back his eyelid, and this beam of light just shines out, bursts out of his eye, and then he closes it again. In the Gospels, we see various accounts of Jesus pulling back his eyelid so that we can see, whoa, this is the Son of God. And everyone he pulls back his eyelid to, they have some type of strong reaction. They either want to spend the rest of their life living for him, or they want to kill him. There is no, "Mm, let me think about this, there's an immediate visceral reaction when Jesus reveals himself. Epiphany celebrates these Moments where God is revealed to all of humanity through Christ. This morning, we're going to read about some precious few first moments where Jesus began to invite people to follow him. I have to admit that it's 
surprising to me sometime, sometimes when people include these tiny little details about the first time they met Jesus in Scripture. It's very meaningful. Our dog wisdom today, if, you, if, you have your, if you're following along in the notes, dog wisdom is dead old guy or dead old gal wisdom. Um, we believe that people before us had a lot of good things to say about Scripture, so we value old texts about Scripture. A.B. Bruce in the Training of the Twelve, in reflecting on John, talking about the first time he met Jesus, he says this, in this case, in the, in the case supposed, it would not be surprising that to his latest hour, John wrote this many years later, in his latest hour, John remembered with emotion the first time he saw the incarnate word and deemed the minutest memorials of that time unspeakably precious. I remember with vivid detail the first time I met my wife, the first time I met Kara. I remember I had this metallic taste in my mouth because I was like fighting some sickness. I remember I was feeling clammy. I remember the, the red weird shirt I was wearing and the corduroy pants I was wearing. I remember like trying to talk with her and I just couldn't get the words out and I was trying to introduce myself and I ended up staying there. I shook her hand like eight times like, hi, I'm Greg. You know when you're really nervous, you keep shaking their hand? It, oh man, that is so embarrassing. I kept doing that. I remember so many little details. I remember how the room, how hot the room was when I went back and introduced myself. She was like in this musical. She was Mary, the mother of Jesus in this musical. And I went back stage and introduced myself to her. I remember every moment about that. I remember how I felt when I was riding home with the youth group in the van and, and taking the, the kids. We, this was a youth group outing. I remember talking with my best friend. I stopped on the road and I called my best friend and said, I found the girl I'm going to marry. And I was like, I was nuts. I'd always say weird things like that, but he was, I talked with him about every little, these minutest, tiny little details. I remember all of it. And you get the feeling when the disciples talk about, or when they write about these first moments that they encounter Jesus, that these tiny little details come out because it was an immeasurably precious moment in their lives that changed everything. I remember more vividly even these watershed moments in my own life where Jesus became more and more real to me. He became more than something that someone was talking about in a sermon. He actually became real to me, and there are several moments in my life like that. Here are some early moments when Jesus met someone named Philip and Nathaniel. Let's read about it together in John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let me pray for us and then we'll get into that. Father, help us to pay attention. Help us to understand how you are revealing yourself to us in this passage. Help us to see you more clearly through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Six times we see either the word see or saw in this passage. Sight and spiritual sight is a very important theme in the New Testament. And I want to zero in this morning on this phrase that we see in verse 46, where Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. And the question I want us to ask is, see what? Because this invitation is for you today, too. This come and see invitation is for all of us. So what are we, what are we going to see? So I want to focus on this word first, see. From what we understand about Nathaniel, he's super, super simple-minded in, in the fact that he was a, a good, probably well-versed in Scripture Jewish young man. He knew the Bible. He was probably very fervent in his religion, um, very innocent. Uh, he was committed and willing to be obedient to what God called him to do. But it's almost like you get the feel he had to see it in Scripture first. He was ready and willing to find and follow the Messiah, but things had to line up in Scripture. So we see in verse 45 through 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote the Old Testament, Jesus of Nazareth. We found this guy that the Old Testament talks about, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Now, that sounds brutal. Nathanael's like not... He's not like slamming on Nazareth. He's not saying, ah, oh, gross, Nazareth? What, what good can come out of Nazareth? It's, it's not that as much as it is. He knows the Old Testament, and he knows that this Messiah, the Son of God, is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so Philip says he's from this Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's thinking to himself, there's not like, I can't remember one prophecy about Nazareth in the Old Testament. You're saying he's the Messiah and he's from Nazareth? I thought he was supposed to be from Bethlehem. That's more along the lines of what Nathaniel was, was thinking there. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Nathaniel had to be thinking at that moment he was born in Nazareth, but he, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What struck Nathanael, what convinced Nathanael that Jesus is God, is not that when he found Jesus and he's going up to talk to Jesus, it's not that Jesus said, hey, Nathanael, by the way, I actually was born in Bethlehem. I know, I know Philip said I was from Nazareth, but just so you know, 
um, it's important that you have these objective things straight. I, I was actually, I was born in Bethlehem, so that, that is me. He didn't, he didn't have, he didn't straighten out this misunderstanding, this objective truth that Nathaniel had in his mind had to, be, had to be true about the Messiah. He didn't do that. He didn't go to the objective stuff. He went to the subjective stuff. What he said to Nathaniel was not, I was born in Bethlehem. He said, I see you. I know you. I saw you before Philip saw you. Look what he says in verse 47 through 49. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He went right to the character of Nathanael. He saw him more clearly than probably those who knew Nathanael. He went right to the core and the heart of who Nathanael was. Nathanael heard it and said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's all it took. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He didn't correct him. He didn't correct the facts surrounding the misunderstanding that Nathaniel had. He went right to the personal, right to the subjective. He didn't say, I was born in Bethlehem, by the way. He said, I know you. I see you. Psalm 139 was our call to worship this morning. And you'll begin to notice this year that the things that we read together and the prayers that we read together are all related to this passage that we're talking about. Let me just read that again. Psalm 139. And think of it in the context of a God who knows you and that that's the most amazing thing about this God. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And we could have kept going. We could have included these verses of Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you. I mean, this could be your prayer. My frame was not hidden from you, God. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven into the depths of the earth, in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So Jesus could have said to Nathaniel, not only did I see you before Philip, I saw you before you were born. I saw all of your days before your mother even knew you. I have been intimately involved in your life from even before time. I see you. I've always seen you. I made you. It's a profoundly intimate thought that the God of the universe sees and knows you that profoundly, that intimately, and everybody that you love. And we see this also in Jesus' interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well and later in John chapter 4. He meets this Samaritan woman and she wants to turn it into a theological debate. She wants to 
debate objective truths about the Bible, which are, which are really, really important. But Jesus wasn't interested. He made it personal. He said to her in so many ways, in a very gentle but very clear way, I see you. I know what your lifestyle is right now. I know that you're looking for all sorts of ways to fill that void except for me. I see you. And what did she do? She, went to, she had gone to this well to fill up her water jar and she left the water jar and she ran into town and here's what she said. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus doesn't give up on people as quick as we do. We think that Jesus only sees the things that other people do that are displeasing to him or that are disobedient to the way that he's designed us to, to live, and we forget the fact that he sees us too. He's the God who sees everything we've ever done and loves us anyways. All of our, every version of crazy that each of us have, he sees it and knows it, and he hasn't gone anywhere. And in Christ, only in Christ can we experience his healing presence that actually begins to shape and shift and change our desires so that we're more in alignment with him. So here's your fill in the blank for this section. Come and see the God who sees you. Come and see the God who sees you. That's our invitation to the world. That was God's invitation to us, and that's our invitation to the world. The implication for all of this is when I went through a stretch of time in college where I was, you know, everyone's an atheist in college for a while. Everyone goes through this stage where they're, they're an atheist. It just seems like, that's an exaggeration, but it seems like you have to go through this, this little bit of a stage. And I was reading about Eastern religions. I was trying to understand all of it. I was taking classes about it at, at Valparaiso, and I was just, I wanted to be an atheist. I wanted to not believe in God. And I remember when I would have these conversations with other Christians, um, and I never really was an atheist, by the way. It was just a phase I was trying to go. I was trying to be rebellious, but I just, God wouldn't let me. <laughs> I remember having debates with other Christians, and it wasn't the objective facts that they corrected in my misunderstanding of God and Scripture. It wasn't them correcting um, my idea that science and, and God had to, they couldn't exist on the same plane. It, it wasn't them showing me scientific data that God existed. It, it wasn't any of that. It was a handful of very personal moments where God made himself known to me in a way that was absolutely compelling and real and personal. And as you're on your journey or as you're praying for loved ones, I can only tell you from my experience that you're probably not going to debate them into the kingdom. It might be better instead to incarnate the truth and the love of Christ for them so that they're when, when they're around you, they sense the presence of God in your love for them, in your grace, 
in your humility. If you're judgmental and harsh, you're going in the wrong direction and you're representing the wrong God. Pray instead that God would open their eyes to the God who sees them. Don't try to debate them into the kingdom. I honestly don't know if that's ever worked. (laughs) Come and see. Now I want us to end by focusing on the, the first word in that phrase. Come with us. Come with me and see. Philip didn't say to Nathaniel, he's over there, go check him out for yourself. Go see for yourself. He didn't give him a, a packet of papers, that, you know, white papers about God theologically. He said, come with me. Come with me to see Jesus. We'll, we'll do this together. Your fill in the blank here is following Jesus is a community activity. Following Jesus is a community activity. Now, at Southside, we don't regulate community. We offer community. We don't regulate it. In other words, we don't say, you have to be in the ways that we do community. Like, you have to. We're going to be very disappointed with you if you don't. We just don't do that. That's crazy. We offer things in case you don't have that type of robust community in your own life now, in a non-judgmental way. That's not what we're about. So we offer things like community groups that will be launching in two Sundays, the 28th. We offer things like discipleship pods where we get together, same gender, you know, three to five people, and learn how to disciple one another in community. These are primary ways that we get together. We have women's ministry Bible studies. We've got a, we've got a men's ministry thing that seems to be bubbling up, and there's going to be more opportunities for guys to get together and learn how to be a disciple of Jesus together. But we don't force people to do these things. We don't look down on people who aren't in the ways that we think you should be in community. Because everyone has a different type of community in their lives. And maybe you have a really robust community outside of what we do, and that's fine. All we ask is that you be in community. Because following Jesus is meant to happen in community with other people. Following Jesus is a come and see with me, or come and see with us activity. Now here's a theological statement that is true 100% of the time. If you're used to Southside, if you've been here for a while, this is not going to be anything different than you've heard for years, but it might be a little startling for you if you're new to Southside, and it's this, this theological statement, true 100% of the time. You ready for it? Here's your fill in the blank. Are you ready? Following Jesus in community, or following Jesus in community makes you less weird. That is a theologically true statement. Following Jesus in community makes you less weird. And that is because every single one of you, this might be a shock to you, this might be a surprise to you, this was a surprise to me. Every single one of us has strange idiosyncrasies in our personality that we're just weird. Like there's, there's blind spots that we have that people look at us and like, ah, a little strange, Greg. After 7 p.m., you get a little weird. You get a little strange. Sometimes even before 7 p.m. There's something about that number, though. After that, I just get very strange, very uninhibited. We always, we have these blind spots. And we don't think we're strange. But you are. Every one of you. I'm strange. 
Now imagine adding to that religion. And this is something that we say a lot too. I got this from Steve Brown. Religion makes you weird. We need to rub up against community so that those strange, sharp, jagged corners of our personality get softened and we become more normal, more relatable, more easy to be around. Following Jesus is meant to happen in community. We're not meant to simply stuff our brains with podcasts of sermons, one after another, after another, after another, in isolation without community. It's really good to learn new things about God. A little dangerous to do that outside of any type of Christ-centered community because you'll probably get very arrogant. When you fill yourself up, when you gorge yourself with theology, things that are true about God, all of the things you're learning about Him are meant to be lived out in the everyday reality of community. They're meant to make you love God more. And then they're meant to make you love other people more. So if you don't have an aspect of your life where in some way there's this outlet, it doesn't have to be in our formal gatherings that we have at Southside. I couldn't care less. What does matter is that you have a regular time with other followers of Jesus where you're coming and seeing him together that's making you less odd. How much are we supposed to be in community talked about this before there's a there's a whole list of these things called one another passages in the bible and they describe ways that we're supposed to love and care for one another so encourage one another confess your sins to one another help carry one another's burdens you should be as involved in community as you are able to give and receive the one another's which is pretty involved and maybe you're getting that Outside of Southside, maybe you're getting that inside of Southside. It doesn't even matter. What matters is you are regularly around, not just one or two, but a community of people where you're learning what it looks like to follow Jesus together. You can't do it in isolation. That's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. That's not discipleship. It just isn't. I remember I had a kid in youth group once. who There was a, there was a pastor online that he just loved listening to. And is great, awesome. Fill yourself up with truth about God, but not for the sake of just knowing more about God. Alex and I were talking about this the other day, that knowing the Bible isn't the end. Knowing the Bible is a means to the end of making you love God more and out of that loving other people more. So just knowing the Bible is not enough. There's a reason for doing that. It opens your heart to God more and it opens your heart to other people more. That's the whole point. So this kid in my youth group was just filling himself with this radio pastor, radio preacher. You know his name if I said it. He's a great teaching ministry. And he would just listen. He'd buy these CDs. That's when you would buy CDs. He would listen to these CDs over and over and over and over. But he refused to be involved in any type of community, any type of community, in our ministry or outside of it. He just wasn't involved. 
he's very odd. And he wanted to get together with me one day and talk about when he comes in on Sunday mornings, because he would come in and listen to the teaching and then he would just leave. He wanted to talk about why the kids were looking at him like he was crazy. And they were, and I had talked with them about that too, but I sat down with this kid and I said, it's because, how do I say this? You're arrogant. You're stuffing yourself full of knowledge and you look down at everybody. You correct everything that everybody says. You're harsh. Instead of knowledge about God making you more, I don't know, fruitful in your understanding of God, you're more judgmental. You don't know how to interact with them. You're odd to talk to. You can change that. Take what you're learning about God and become a normal person who happens to be passionate about Jesus in the context of community. Stop running from it. God softens the weird, idiosyncratic edges of our personalities when we rub up against other people who are learning how to follow Jesus in community. It'd be an interesting study sometime to see how the individual disciples became less weird by, forced, by being forced by Jesus to follow him in community together with one another. Jesus forced them to follow him in community. That's the biblical norm. Philip's invitation to Nathaniel wasn't go and see for yourself. It was come and see. Come with us. This man is building a community of followers, and you'll want to be a part of it. It's not just knowledge. It's not just knowledge. That's important, but it leads to something. It's not just knowledge. It's knowing Jesus together. Our winter practice, and we have one of these, this is on the, I think on the back side of your notes, we have every, every season we do something called a common practice, and um, it's a way of us learning how to exercise our following Jesus muscles. And what we're doing this time is getting, each of us are getting a, a four by six card. I like four by six. You can, you can just, it can be a piece of paper that you fold up, but I like four by six cards are amazing. I, for, there's so many good things about four by six cards. So I would encourage you to get a bunch of four by six cards. You'll use these for everything. These are like duct tape. You just, you always need to have four by six cards with you. So mine is, I want you to put a scripture on this four by six card. Okay, everybody in here. Usually when I'm talking, like when we talk about things like this, or when someone's teaching and I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm just like, yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be really good for people. But I never actually do it myself. So don't be like me. Actually hear this and, and, and give it some traction. Actually do this. So Psalm 103, 13, 14. This is mine. Get your own. I said that last week. It is as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Write it down and carry it. Make It's portable. Carry it with you everywhere you go. Read it. Read it out loud multiple times. Pray it. Memorize it. Make this a part of your life. 
Do not go through the religious motions of being a Christian. Get to know Jesus personally. The answer to all of your problems in life is Jesus. The answer to all of the ways that you're stuck is Jesus. It's not just knowledge about him. That knowledge is a means to an end of knowing him more. And if you want to know if you're making that connection really, really easily, read Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Write it on a note card. Hand it to somebody and say, do you see these things in me? That will let you know if you actually are transferring knowledge about God to knowing God. Head stuff to heart stuff. That's a challenge, and it's not easy. Don't do it unless you really want to know. And don't give that card to anybody that's just going to make you feel good and lie to you. That's not, that's not going to be helpful. Give it to someone that will be honest with you. That's how you know that you've moved from religiosity, knowledge, to knowing Jesus. All right, everybody get a four-by-six card or a piece of paper. Write down a passage that speaks to you. You can use Google, call me, email me. If you're looking for a particular topic, talk to someone here at Southside. Write it down, carry it with you. Read it multiple times a day. Do that for a couple months. Memorize it. And as you do that, this will become the reality of your soul. This will become more and more real to you. I'm actually beginning to believe and know and trust that God is a Father who shows compassion to me. He knows I'm weak. He knows my frame. He knows I'm dust. He knows I'm needy. And he's willing to have mercy on me. In spite of all of my weaknesses, it's becoming real. That's my challenge to every one of you. And then share it with others since it's a shared experience. Show other people what you're learning about God. Pray it with other people. That's enough. That's enough for today. Let me pray for us.